The notion that we live in publishing's digital age faces a new challenge. Earlier this year, we learned that print may be getting a second wind. This week, the latest sales numbers from leading publishers show a decline in ebooks. Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. Of course, the digital revolution has not actually retreated. Ask anyone with a smartphone. Yet industry executives say they are watching closely as ebook sales and total digital revenues disappoint. What do they see is behind the shift? For some answers, we turn to Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly senior writer, who joins me every Friday with the latest book business news and analysis. And welcome back to Beyond the Book, Andrew. Greetings, Chris. Uh, so indeed, it is becoming a persistent question for us here in this podcast. What's going on with ebooks? This week, uh, the numbers from some major publishers show that ebook sales are sliding. And I have to wonder, as I'm sure you do, uh, what at this point, uh, or what at what point does this become a concern for publishers? Yeah, so another batch of quarterly numbers are in. And once again, as you say, the big question is what is up with ebooks? Or should I say, what's down with ebooks? Uh, and their financial results, which were posted this week, lower ebook sales were a big factor in weak financial performances at HarperCollins and in limiting the gains at an otherwise pretty good quarter for Simon and Schuster. Hachette also reported some underwhelming numbers for the quarter as well. Uh, but let's start with Harper, where earnings fell a hefty 23.6% compared to the same period in 2014. Total revenue was up only a little bit by 1%, but without the benefit of the August 2014 purchase of Harlequin, revenue at HarperCollins would have actually been down 2%, and its earnings would have been off by 33% rather than that 23.6 figure. So, pretty disconcerting numbers there. Harper executives blamed weak sales performances on uh, lower sales of Veronica Ross Divergent Books, and as we said before, lower ebook sales. Digital sales, which include both ebook and digital audio, accounted for 20% of the house's revenue in the most recent quarter, and that's down 3%. 23% was uh, just a year ago. All this despite selling 3 million copies of Harper Lee's Go Set a Watchman. You know, we've said, uh, I think on the last podcast, that we'll wait to see what's up with the ebook sales uh, once it factors in some of these bestsellers like Harper Lee's Go Set a Watchman. Well, these figures do, and ebook sales are still sliding. For Simon & Schuster, meanwhile, uh, the company was able to offset a drop in ebook sales this quarter with a strong performance in digital audio. Digital audio is a bright spot for publishers. It's been doing very well. Uh, and also, SNS posted higher sales in its children's division. Overall, sales at SNS rose about 2% for the quarter, and its operating income increased about 2.4%. And while digital audio sales had a solid quarter, total digital sales fell from 28.3% of total revenue at SNS to 24.8%, so about a 4% drop there over the last year. Uh, and ebooks are estimated to have declined about 17% in the latest quarter. So ebooks down 17% in the third quarter over third quarter 2014. That's truly, I think, a pretty disturbing number. Uh, meanwhile, at Lagardere, which is Hachette's parent company, uh, revenue was off 5.2% in the third quarter. And the company didn't break out ebooks, but suffice it to say, their experience. Experiencing uh, much of the same decline. I imagine they are. And I guess the question is just how concerned are they? And more interesting for me, at least, and for some of our listeners, I'm sure, is how concerned are you? 
Well, you know, it's it's hard to say because, you know, on these conference calls, everyone is always puts on a pretty good poker face. Uh, but News Corp Chief's uh, executive, Robert Thompson, which, of course, News Corp is the parent of, of HarperCollins, said the company is watching closely what's happening with the softening ebook sales trend in the U.S. And SNS's uh, CEO, Carolyn Reedy, actually said she wasn't too worried about the decline, at least not yet. She said there were a lot of factors behind the ebook sales decline, including a change in product. Uh, between last year's third quarter and the most recent period. And Reedy said that SNS has seen little evidence to suggest that higher ebook prices are behind the ebook sales slump. And she said she wouldn't be surprised if ebook sales started to rise again in the next quarter and in 2016. And that mirrors a lot of what I heard in Frankfurt this year. You know, I had discussions with a lot of the major publishers when I was over there, and they all revealed largely the same attitude. None seemed to be too concerned, and none of them really expected this dip in ebooks to last. But I have to say, no one could explain why this was happening. And while they may not be concerned, I am. Uh, as much as we can raise questions and rationalize why ebooks are dipping, the reality is, this early in their life cycle, they shouldn't be dipping. Uh, flattening, yes. You know, since you can't really maintain the kind of gaudy growth numbers we got used to seeing as ebooks were maturing, but you know, the fact is, print, while it is up in some sectors, is not picking up the slack for the loss in ebook sales. And I'm concerned that you know the loss in ebook sales actually translates into lost readers. So we'll talk more about this uh, in early 2016 when the next quarterly numbers are in, and maybe the holiday season will offer us a little insight. But unlike the major publishers at this point, I'm starting to get a little worried. Yeah, well, I'll look forward to continuing that discussion. I think your point that lost ebook sales could mean lost readers is a pretty troubling one, and I think you've put your finger on it. And certainly for authors, uh, readers are what it's all about. And self-publishing service provider Author Solutions is a topic we've spoken about a good deal on the show in the past. And, and in September, as we know, a lawsuit against the company alleging fraud was dismissed. In, in Monday's issue, Andrew, you have a discussion with Author Solutions CEO Andrew Phillips. And what does he reveal about the company? Yeah, that's right. You know, our listeners will certainly recall all of our discussions about the Author Solutions case that was dismissed this past September. Uh, and the big question I always had from that whole episode was, how does the company move forward from such bad publicity? As you recall, they were accused of basically offering fraudulent services to their customers and upselling them and basically walking away with their money. But in his first public comments since the litigation ended, Phillips, who took over as president and CEO of Author Solutions just a few weeks after the company was hit by the lawsuit in 2013, said the lawsuit really wasn't a major distraction during his first two years at the helm and that he expects solid growth going forward. You know, Among his comments, Phillips said that he estimates uh, the self-publishing market as a whole is going to grow at about a 15% to 20% clip in the coming years. Uh, and what really caught my eye is that the company still believes its greatest value lies in offering authors this vast range of services, whether it's cover design or editing or marketing and publicity. And that's interesting to me because, remember, it was Author Solutions marketing offerings that was at the heart of the lawsuits and the claims of fraud. But Phillips said the company has you know, redoubled its efforts to ensure that authors understand what they are signing up for and, I should add, what they are paying for. Uh, and you know, part of that is this 
dedicated author care initiative that he talks about. Uh, and he explained to uh, to us at PW that, you know, given the competition in the self-publishing market today, if Author Solutions did not treat its authors fairly, it would be in trouble. The full article is out in Monday's issue, and you can read more about this. And next week, we'll likely have uh, quite a bit of reactions to discuss to that article on this podcast. All right. Look forward to that. And finally, what's in a name? A library by any other name would have just as much in it to read. And for the Seattle Public Library controversy, it turns out, is in its name. And in Monday's issue, you have the story on that. Tell us more. Yeah, a really insightful piece in Monday's issue by our library columnist, Brian Kenny, who is the director of the White Plains Public Library here in New York. And Brian writes about a rebranding effort by the Seattle Public Library that really went off the rails. Uh, you know, long story short, the Seattle Public Library, which is really one of the great public libraries in America, needed to update its image. So it contracted with a major corporate brand strategist to do so. But when the public, uh, through a public survey, found out that the library was fixing to spend two million dollars on a new logo and a new brand initiative, they rebelled. Now, the name change was actually pretty simple. Uh, the proposal was just to change the name from the Seattle Public Library to Seattle Public Libraries. So, why all the controversy? Well, basically, as Kenny explains it, it's really all about communication, or more precisely, the lack of communication. Brian offers a fascinating breakdown of yet another PR failure by a great library. You know, you'll remember we talked about the New York Public Library disastrous bid to redesign its iconic 42nd Street Library last year. Uh, and while this story is not quite as dramatic as the NYPLs, it involves some of the same basic failures, Kenny observes. You know, he notes that the failure to bring the public on board with your plans early in the process really led to its demise. And in this case, it was just sort of explaining to the public why they needed an image update and, you know, more to the point, why they were spending $2 million of foundation money. It's worth noting this was was not uh, public funding. This was money they raised from uh, their foundation. But why they were spending that money, instead of spending it on hours and services and materials, why it was necessary to spend it on a new name and a rebranding process. But you can read all about that in Monday's issue. Uh, it's Brian Kenny's latest column, and uh, it's a fascinating read. I'm sure it is. And, you know, I, I guess I'd be guilty of looking for a silver lining. But the public throws a fit, Andrew, when something it cares about deeply is under threat. Is, is that what happened here? I think to some degree that is what happened here. But also I think that the deeper story is that – we just expect our public institutions to act differently than corporations. So the idea of a public institution, especially a beloved public library, spending $2 million on a corporate branding campaign, I think, you know, because of the media that it got, really got under the public skin. And I think that's what really caused the rebellion here. Well, quite interesting indeed. And as always, insightful analysis from Andrew Albanese, senior writer at Publishers Weekly. Always enjoy having you on Beyond the Book. My pleasure, as always. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, a global rights broker for the world's most sought-after materials, including millions of books and e-books, journals, newspapers, magazines, and blogs, as well as images, movies, and television shows. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, find us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes or at our website, beyondthebook.com. Our engineer and co-producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. My name is Chris Keneally. For all of us at Copyright Clearance Center, thanks for listening to Beyond the Book. Mm-hmm.